Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. This is the Open University of the Airwaves, a global university where there are no tuition fees and where the teacher encourages you to speak back. You can call. Indeed, I hope you do. We had a magic call last week from someone who thought that uh, an independent Scotland could quantitatively ease the Bank of England's pound notes. That's the level of economic incompetence and illiteracy and numeracy among Scottish nationalists. More of that later. Actually, we had Paul just the other week uh, who thought the same thing. Uh, no, last week was uh, that an independent Scotland could negotiate a free trade agreement with China. Um, <clears throat> forgetting that an independent Scotland intends to be a member of the EU and therefore not entitled to make free trade agreements with anyone. Uh, again, as I say, more of that later. You can call or you can tweet. Now, a right royal row is raging, as I said, uh, following the publication or the serialization, at least the Daily Mail has, I'm told, 10 separate articles on it. Today, a book called Finding Freedom. It's really a book written by Harry and Meghan, although it's ghostwritten uh, by a tabloid journalist. But it is everything that Harry and Meghan would like to say in their own name and on the record if they had the guts to do so. But they don't, of course, because they intend to continue uh, to collect by one means or another. Are they looking for freedom? in Los Angeles, a funny place to look if you ask me, in Donald Trump's America, or is it just a license to print money? We've got a poll now raging uh, on it. In the royal row, who's in the right? A, William and Kate, B, Harry and Meghan, C, abolish the monarchy. My vote is with A, but you are fully entitled to vote as you please. And, of course, the tabloids just can't wait to get their teeth into the unsealed indictments. Unsealed. All the dirty details tabled by a woman who says that she was raped, for that's what it would be, by Prince Andrew. And uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, who, whose lawyers tried vainly uh, to stop this being unsealed, have failed and uh, her suicide next week is very, very sad, but nonetheless, we will discuss it this evening. Because the Epstein case and the Ghislaine Maxwell angle is not just a great Anglo-American story. It's not just the most sordid, wicked, evil, sexual, criminal matter. It is almost certainly a matter of espionage. It's uh, sex, lies, and spying, and 
that's now all going to tumble out into the open as Ghislaine Maxwell uh, eats her porridge in jail, having failed to get bail and now must wait until next summer, next summer, uh, before facing trial, facing her accusers that she did so much to avoid facing in her scamper around the United States or who knows, maybe even farther afield. And talking about America, we can't ignore uh, Donald J. Trump. It's getting close, very close, to the November presidential election. Joe Biden still producing his basement tapes, although they seem to hit a lower base every time he talks. He claimed this week in one of the most embarrassing tapes, it's actually hard to uh, put them in a league table, but I thought it was one of the most embarrassing when he claimed that nurses in the Walter Reed Hospital, when he was ill, were breathing up his, his nostrils. Yes, literally, blowing up his nostrils to get him going. Now, he may have been in some kind of fever. This may be a hallucination, but the next president would be of the United States actually claimed that to the whole country on tape this week. He said that the nurses used to bend down and whisper in his ear. I think they were whispering, don't run for president, Joe. There's far too much in the cupboard, too many skeletons in the cupboard for you. So as I've said before, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden says more or less it all about the current state of the United States of America. But that is the choice. Jesse Ventura is not running. So who are you with, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Maybe that's what the second poll of the evening uh, should be. The coronavirus, of course, is devastating everywhere. Uh, the United States, of course, far and away, uh, the worst hit, the worst affected, and turning in the worst governmental performance anywhere in the world. 25% uh, of all cases in the world are in the United States of America. In fact, if Florida was a state, uh, then Florida would be one of the most afflicted countries in the world. But it's in Texas, it's in Arizona, it's in California. It was earlier devastating. New York State, particularly New York City. Uh, and Donald Trump is potentially going to be swept out of office. Not for anything else that he did, not for anything else that he said, but because of the failure to halt this sweep of death, this grim reaper uh, that is cutting its way through his country. Not that Britain is any better. Britain is second uh, worst after the United States, although there are some statistical arguments about that. And there's also a lot of damned lies. Uh, the, the, the Scottish government, uh, of Nicola Sturgeon, uh, long claimed uh, that the English COVID-19 was five times worse than the Scottish. And a lot of daft liberals here in England believed her. Uh, but it turns out that too is a statistical misinterpretation. And uh, in fact, Scotland has the third worst death rate per head of population and taking density of population into account in the whole world. So those Egypts that were shouting at me 
at the border get back to England, the vigilante squad, uh, they were doing so on an entirely fake basis. Uh, but of course, we've got the winter still to come. And I happen to be one of those that believes that the winter spike in COVID-19 is going to be very considerable indeed and may last uh, well past Christmas, well into 2021. We'll ask our Moats medic, Dr. Ranjit Bra, all about that later. Now, what do you get if you play a country and Western record backwards? You get your wife back, your house back, your dog back, uh, all the things that you have lost in the course of a country and Western record if you play it the right way around. Now, country and Western's not my bag, but it appears to be the bag of our editor, Mr. Ron Mackay, because he has turned up the only politically progressive country and Western singer anywhere in the United States of America, from Texas, no less. He's concerned about COVID-19. He's even concerned about Black Lives Matter. And that must go down a storm on the country and Western circuit. We'll be talking to Todd Barrow uh, later. But first of all, we'll be talking to Ben Norton. Now, Ben Norton is the associate editor of The Grey Zone. He's a journalist uh, extraordinaire. I've now spoken to him uh, many times and have always been impressed. There's nobody better that we could have brought for you to kick us off in the mother of all talk shows on all matters Americana. How's that poll going? William and Kate, 39%. Harry and Meghan toiling at 13%. And abolish the monarchy in a decent lead, 48%. And you know, I'm not a royalist, of course, uh, but the idea of President Tony Blair haunts me. I'd kind of prefer a head of state that wasn't a superannuated politician. But there you go. In the royal row, who's in the right? A, William and Kate, 39. B, Harry and Meghan, 13. C, abolish the monarchy, 48. Now, 418 people have voted already, and it's only less than quarter past. So get busy. It's on my Twitter feed. Cast your vote. The mother of all talk shows. Join our faculty of legends, contributors, and callers. Everyone is welcome. Now, would you breathe up Joe Biden's nostrils? Well, you'd be ill-advised, especially if you were a young girl. And I mean a really young girl. But that's what he claimed uh, on tape in one of the basement tapes released this week. Uh, that the uh, nurses would bend down and whisper in his ear. No doubt he was aching to stroke their hair because that's what he does. He said they went home and brought him pillows. There were presumably not enough pillows in the Walter Reed uh, military hospital, veterans hospital, even for a man as exalted as he. And as I say, they breathed up his nostrils. I don't know if they live to tell the tale. Perhaps Ben Norton does. He is uh, the assistant editor of The Grey Zone, and I hope he joins me now. Ben, thank you very much indeed for coming back on the mother of all talk shows. Let's start with that extraordinary story first, can we? Uh, I thought I'd seen and heard it all uh, with Joe Biden, but the image 
of nurses breathing up his nostrils quite did it for me this week. Well, how's that gone down in the United States? Well, it's it's very clear that Joe Biden is in poor health. This is he's 77 years old and he hasn't even entered office yet. And especially we're not even just talking about his physical health, his his psychic health, his mental health, his psychological health is absolutely awful. He can barely give a speech without having horrific faux pas. He recounts strange stories about uh, touching the hair on on children's legs. I kid you not. That's a that's a real story that he told, and he also just can't put sentences together. And you know, of course, Trump also has his share of faux pas. He has his very strange speaking tactics. But it's incredible because the Democratic Party is portraying itself as this great resistance to Trump, and and they're going to solve all of these massive problems facing the U.S. And yet they present a candidate who is in many ways a kind of carbon copy of Trump. He's the kind of Democratic Party version of Trump. I mean, except he lacks the charisma, but he he has the same right-wing policies. He has the same mental health problems and same physical health problems. It is uh, extraordinary, but uh, is it a coincidence? I mean, is this what the United States empire has come to? Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And if so, uh, what does that tell us? Yeah, I do think it's, George, I think it's a pretty fitting kind of indictment of the state of the U.S. empire right now, which is very clearly in decline. Everyone around the world sees that Washington is lashing out and threatening its own so-called allies, threatening Britain, France, Germany, anyone who challenges its policies with tariffs, with sanctions, with other punitive measures. And meanwhile, inside the U.S., the country is falling apart at the seams. We see brutal police violence across the country. And that's not new, of course, but it's everyone in the world is seeing it and it can't be denied anymore. And then right in the middle of this historic election, we keep we're told that this is the most important election in modern history in all of our lifetimes. And yet, who are the candidates? The candidates are, of course, Trump on one side. Everyone knows how awful Trump is. But on the other side, the supposed solution that the Democratic Party has to this awful right wing demagogue Trump is himself a right-wing neoliberal who can barely speak, as we were saying earlier. And also, by the way, let's keep in mind that both of these candidates have many scandals, have many allegations of sexual harassment and abuse. And in the case of, of Trump, it's clear that this is someone who's very corrupt, who is using the office to enrich himself and his family. But that's also true for Joe Biden. And we have several cases of this, but the most egregious case is, of course, his son, Hunter Biden, being given this sinecure for a Ukrainian fossil fuel company, a gas company, where he was put on the board of directors and was given nearly $100,000 per month to basically do nothing. And there are other cases of personal enrichment and corruption. So as I said earlier, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that in many ways, Joe Biden is kind of the Democratic Party's version of Trump. He, he doesn't use the same kind of openly racist rhetoric, but at the end of the day, their policies are very similar. Well, uh, he may not use openly racist rhetoric, but he put a lot more black men in jail uh, than uh, Donald Trump did. That's exactly right. Joe Biden is one of the architects of mass incarceration, and he used to brag about it. So it's actually been incredible to see 
this the the kind of post neoliberal era we're living in, where zombie neoliberalism, if you will, where everyone recognizes that this neoliberal model that that Ronald Reagan, well, of course, Pinochet first imposed their brutal military dictatorship in Chile, thanks to the CIA. But of course, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher said, you know, in the words of Thatcher, there is no alternative. And we've been living through that for decades. But now we're in this kind of zombie neoliberal era. Everyone knows that the system has failed. But instead of presenting an, an actual alternative on the left, of course, the Labour Party in the UK, as you all saw, destroyed the alternative of Corbynism. The Democratic Party destroyed the alternative of Bernie Sanders. And what we're left is the, the most right wing one. And frankly, the, the most old school style of blue dog Democrat, right wing Democrats who supported so-called tough on crime legislation, who supported bailing out Wall Street, who support tax cuts for the rich. That's what we're left with. It's actually not only more of the same, it's an intensification of those very same neoliberal policies. And unfortunately, as I've said on your show, George, and as I've repeated again and again, this is really dangerous because what the neoliberals in the, the Democratic Party here and now under Keir Starmer in London, what they're doing in the UK is they're actually intensifying that in those neoliberal policies and actually giving further rise to the far right. Now, uh, let's go through how bad it is in the United States. Uh, I think 30 million people uh, have lost their jobs in the uh, course of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I think, therefore, that means uh, that roughly 100 million people have no health care uh, cover, the people who didn't have it before, uh, plus the people who had it with their job and have now lost their job. I think unemployment is now at a higher rate uh, than it was in the Great Depression. Am I right? That's absolutely right. We don't know the exact figure, and I would be skeptical of the official figures from the U.S. government because there are a lot of reasons to think that they are downplaying the actual severity of the crisis of unemployment. This is not a new problem, but in terms of the, the degree, it is absolutely insane. We're, we're talking about degrees between maybe up to 30 or 40 percent unemployment. There was even a, a study that was published that showed that half of U.S. adults don't have jobs. So there, we're talking about tens of millions of people who want to work but can't work. And then further, another point that we need to talk about that, ne that never gets enough tension in mainstream corporate media is not only do we have tens of millions of people who have no jobs, we also have tens of millions of young people, my generation, people under 40, who are basically trapped in debt that they can never pay off. There is more than $1.4 trillion of student debt. And previously, people were barely getting by, paying the bare minimum on their their school loans. And now people can't even pay those school loans at all. And what a lot of people outside the U.S. don't realize is that that $1.4 trillion of student debt that, that young people are crushed under, you can you, that can never be forgiven. It's not like other forms of debt, like maybe medical debt. You can't write it off. It follows you to your grave. So we already had a major economic crisis 
There's also a, another growing bubble of real estate. And I think it's all going to explode pretty soon, unfortunately. And it's going to be further compounded by this horrific economic crisis caused by coronavirus, which also, let's not forget, we're talking about nearly 150,000 dead. I mean, it, it's difficult to imagine it being worse than the Great Depression, but I actually think we are living in a moment that is just as bad, if not worse, than the Great Depression. Now, tell us about the, the law and order situation. Uh, some of us have been to Portland, uh, saw it as a very peaceful and lovely place. Oregon's not a state that you identify with bad things. Uh, and yet we're looking at quite extraordinary pictures from Oregon, from Portland. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's exactly right. It, it's actually quite terrifying. Again, I should stress that this is not necessarily just something that began with Trump. To really understand the situation, we have to go back to George Bush, George Bush Jr., who after 9-11 pushed through this horrific authoritarian legislation, the Patriot Act, which also created later the Department of Homeland Security. And this has ballooned into this monstrosity that is larger than almost all other institutions, and it's larger than most police forces. And Trump is now using DHS and Border Patrol and ICE, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He's using his, his federal agencies that mostly work on the border as his personal Praetorian guard to go after protesters and, and in some cases violating the actual local laws and the state sovereignty of numerous states. You mentioned Portland. This, this is an area with a progressive government. They're, they're not great, of course, I'm saying, but they have a progressive government. And the federal government under Trump and under the DOJ is violating that, those state rights and sending in federal forces, which are not only brutalizing protesters. There have been videos going viral on social media showing protesters being detained by federal forces who do not have badges on and are being thrown into unmarked cars. This is the kind of things that happen in dictatorships. These are the kinds of things that actually the CIA supported in the military dictatorships in South America during the Cold War, in Argentina, where they disappeared tens of thousands of leftists. Now they're using those same policies against left-wing anti-establishment protesters who are protesting against systemic racism, structural violence, unemployment, all of these problems that we're talking about. And again, we need to understand that these are federal forces that are doing it 
in, in some cases, they're working with local police, or in some cases, they're actually going against the own local police and are just doing what Trump's DOJ tells them to do. Now, almost unbelievably, given all that you have just said, the United States is now maintaining sanctions or embargoes against 39 different countries with a combined population of 2 billion. That's one in four people in the entire world is currently under sanction uh, by the United States of America. Its forces are off the coast of Venezuela, off the coast of Iran, all around Russia, and in the South China Sea, on the water and in the air above it. This all sounds insane, Ben. Absolutely. It's what historians will call imperial overreach. At this time of crisis, well, things are falling apart. The U.S. empire just keeps extending it and keeps pushing out its power. And it's it's suicidal. And it's terrifying to me because the U.S. is really pushing the world toward a new world war. Mike Pompeo, who is a really kind of cartoon villain, this guy is 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 so Orwellian. He, he just believes so much in using military force everywhere and threatening every country on Earth. He's threatening the International Criminal Court. He's threatening the family members of International Criminal Court judges. And Mike Pompeo just gave an his, a historic speech this past week, essentially declaring a new Cold War on China. Of course, this is a policy that's been going on for many years now, but he confirmed it, saying that, they, that the U.S. goal is to overthrow the Communist Party of China and the government of China. And now we saw that Australia joined the U.S. and Japan this past week in doing military exercises in the South China Sea off the coast of China, threatening China. The U.S. has spy planes threatening China. Of course, you mentioned the, the suffocating blockade in Venezuela, which is killing thousands of people. There's the 60-year blockade of Cuba. I mean, there's just so many crimes going on. And although, of course, I think this is a very bad thing, what it's also doing in many ways, actually, is uniting other countries in the world. Of course, unfortunately, we've seen many countries in Europe abandon, surrender their sovereignty. On, on the case of China, we saw that the UK has, has shamefully is going to push out Huawei. And China's response is that the UK has abandoned its sovereignty on the issue of China. We've seen that in other European countries. But at the same time, I think in parts of Latin America and other parts of Asia and Africa, we're actually seeing a growing unity between forces that don't want to be colonized by the U.S. And, and of course, we've seen Russia and China growing together. So I think what this is doing is, yes, the U.S. unfortunately is pushing the world toward more war. But at the same time, it's also accelerating its own imperial decline. And of course, these sanctions are now, as you said earlier, not just against uh, kind of obvious and traditional uh, U.S. enemies, uh, they are sanctions against their own friends and allies, including Britain, uh, sanctions on Scotch whiskey, believe it or not. Um, uh, but the Germans in particular, but and Denmark, uh, have pushed back. Now, the U.S. demanded that they halt the Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline uh, to bring Russian gas uh, to keep the lights on and the heat uh, going in, in Europe. Uh, the U.S. demanded that they cease and desist and buy American uh, shale oil instead, uh, but the Europeans said, no thanks. Um, there must come a point uh, 
when a country in such crisis as the United States finds that its currency is no longer reliable, it's devaluing, by the way, by the day, uh, the currency is no longer acceptable as king of the currencies, and the diktat from Washington will no longer be obeyed. That's exactly right, George. For Since the end of World War II and the creation of the Bretton Woods system, the United States dollar has really been the kind of de facto global currency. And the U.S. has used wars, its war machine, to make sure that the supremacy of the dollar is never challenged. But right now, we, with Venezuela in the past several years, we've seen Venezuela start listing its oil in the Chinese yuan. We've seen it try to do business with a basket of currencies in, in the euro. And we've seen other countries. Iran is trying to do business in other currencies. And the U.S. is, by overextending its imperial power, is, is actually weakening itself. And what and the U.S. dollar is the most important weapon that the U.S. empire has because without the power of the dollar, all it has is the military. And the military force is so blunt that everyone in the world can see it. No one can deny it. And the U.S. can't even win a war anyway. So I think what's really terrifying is that as we see this, this extreme systemic crisis in the United States and we see people like Mike Pompeo, who I need to stress are absolute fanatics, who, when you compound it with the fact they're also apocalyptic evangelical Christians who think that we're the last generation of humans on earth, I think they really do want a new global war. And they think that the only way to maintain their supremacy is through that military force, and they're willing to use it. So I think that we should be very careful going forward. And I, when I say we, I mean people around the world who want peace, who don't want to see another world war, because the U.S. is pushing the rest of the planet toward war, toward world war. And this is not a reciprocal relationship here. The U.S. is very clearly the aggressor, and the entire world can see that. And unfortunately, I think the only people who can really hold back the government and stop it from carrying out all of these crimes are the people, are those of us Americans, people in the U.S., we really need to hold our government to account. We need to rebuild the anti-war movement. We need to build a movement that is not beholden to corporate interests, not beholden to people like Joe Biden, and say enough is enough. We actually want peace and diplomacy with the world and not another world war. Last question. I'm grateful for your time, and I hate to put you on the spot, uh, but with, uh, what, uh, just a few months, four months or so to go, uh, who do you think is going to be elected in November? It, it's a really d difficult question, George. I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, in my gut, I think Trump will win again because Biden just doesn't offer anything to anyone. In fact, Biden gave speeches, of course, they were private speeches to some of his rich corporate donors on Wall Street, in which he, he promised, and this is an exact quote, I'm not exaggerating, he said, nothing fundamentally would change. And that, that's the exact opposite of what we need. We need a candidate who will radically transform society. And unfortunately, the Democratic Party will never tolerate that, Well, rather, their corporate donors will never tolerate that. So while a lot of people are being optimistic, saying that Trump is, is really low in the polls, unfortunately, let's not forget those same polls, the same pollsters said back in the 2016 election that Hillary Clinton had a 97% chance of winning. And of course, we saw what happened. So unfortunately, I don't want to be pessimistic. I want but a lot I of money on that, Ben. 
Uh, I see little hope of changing inside electoral politics, which is why we need to push the system from the outside. And that's why we need more people in the streets protesting. Ben Norton, many thanks for coming on board the mother of all talk shows. Now, in the royal row, who's in the right? William and Kate, 38%, down one. Harry and Meghan, 11%, down two. Abolish the monarchy, 51%, up three. Well, at least give us a referendum, surely. You're not just going to abolish it by fiat, surely. You can vote now on my Twitter feed. 895 votes so far. Now, uh, another week, another attack on RT. This time from the Labour Party, going full Jolly George in the uh, 1920 British invasion. Yes, let me say that to you again. In the 1920 British invasion of Russia, the British Labour movement halted it in its tracks, at least for a little while, when the dock workers refused to load ships like the Jolly George, uh, which was headed uh, to Russia with weapons and with soldiers. The dockers refused to allow the ship to be loaded. Uh, the labor movement were fully behind the campaign to save Russia. Hands off Russia, they said. But this week, <laughs> in the House of Commons, it was Labour that was demanding that the Conservative government close down RT. Now, of course, in 2020, as opposed to 1920, closing down television stations is actually impossible uh, because we'll keep on broadcasting whatever Keir Starmer likes or doesn't, and whatever Boris Johnson decides or doesn't decide to do. But the main problem with Keir Starmer's demand was that it is not the business of either the government or the opposition to tell uh, the regulator, Ofcom, what to do. In fact, it was a breach. <laughs> Imagine a breach of the quasi-judicial independence of Ofcom. And the silence from Ofcom probably illustrates that they are not amused at being told what to do in their day job of regulating the British media industry by a here today, gone tomorrow, Taylor's dummy. A man so wooden, the birds are trying to nest in him. Now, I made my short for RT this week on this very subject. Take a look. It's a funny old world, as Mrs. Thatcher once said. The Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, has just called on the government to close RT, one of the only television networks in the country, in the world, whose audience is going up rather than down. The proximate cause was the Russia report, which was delayed for almost a whole year. And we now know the reason why. There's nothing actually in it. It doesn't even qualify as idle gossip. As Andrew Neil, the anti-Russia hawk BBC guru put it, the problem with the press conference accompanying the report 
was that the government could or would give not a single example of Russian interference in British elections, neither in the referenda in Scotland in 2014 and across the UK as a whole on Brexit in 2016. Not a scintilla of evidence, just open-sourced reports, which means anything that anybody ever wrote and that is extant on the internet. We've got seven intelligence services in Britain with a budget of many billions of pounds. If President Putin was really standing in the Kremlin, working out how he could affect the outcome in British electoral matters, you'd think one of those intelligence services would be able to produce one sliver of evidence. But evidence, there was none. The implied point is that Russia wanted Scotland to vote for separatism. That's kind of knocked on the head by the fact that I, as the biggest opponent of separatism in Scotland, appear on the network more often, literally, than anybody else in the world, seven days a week, plus this broadcast, I'm on RT. Yeah, I'm never done hammering Scottish nationalism. Funny that. But the big enchilada was the search to find some evidence that some voter in Sunderland or in Swansea voted for Brexit because President Vladimir Putin told him to. Now, that's not just an insult to the voters themselves. It's an insult to your intelligence. People voted for Brexit for all kinds of reasons. But the fact that Putin wanted them to definitely wasn't one of them. There is one other reason why the Conservative government suppressed this Russia report beyond the general election of last December. It's not just that there's next to nothing in it. It's that what is in it shows that the party most penetrated by Russian oligarchs is the Conservative Party and Boris Johnson's circle themselves. These oligarchs are hiding out in London as far away from President Putin and the Kremlin as they can possibly get. They're counting their ill-gotten gains here, washing them in the laundromat of the city of London. So there may be Russian actors in British politics, but they're not from the Kremlin. They are fugitives from the Kremlin in many cases. This is all look-over-there material. The COVID-19 catastrophe in Britain, with one of the worst death rates in the entire world, foreshadows an economic crisis, the mother of all economic crises, the biggest crisis since the 1930s, and maybe even worse than that one. The call by Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, to ban RT is not just a strike at freedom of speech. It's not just a strike at the values that the British like to say they stand for. It is an attempt to suppress alternative takes on events, which has drawn more and more and more people towards RT over the last few years. It will not succeed. RT will continue, whether Keir Starmer likes it or not, and whatever the British government does or doesn't do. Because our motto, 
is question more. And the more we question, the better the answers we'll get. Have something to say? Do you disagree with George? Then call us now and give us your view. Feel free to disagree. Uh, the British number is 02077 982255 and the US number 0017444480. Or let us know on Twitter at George Galloway at RTUK News. Now, this is a, a sad announcement. Uh, this was tweeted from Jane Aykroyd's account on YouTube. She commented on every Moats post every Sunday with her opinion. And it's from her husband. It says, Dear George, sadly, Jane passed away two weeks ago after a short illness. Thanks for the hours of pleasure your shows gave her over the years. Thank you again. From Patrick, her husband of 28 years. I'm so sorry for your loss, Patrick. Uh, may God rest her soul and give you the strength to bear uh, your loss. Very, very sad uh, to hear that. Now, Joan says on Twitter, the UK has nothing left, only the monarchy, to attract tourists. We're sinking fast, so they may as well sink with the rest of the country. And in Facebook, Roy says, Ben Norton, one of the few Americans that talk sense. And Calaman says, it's the BBC that should be closed down. And Lee says, George, you can't say Trump isn't going to win because of the polls. The same polls said Hillary had a 98% chance of beating Trump. And David says, it's incredible to think that Peter Sellers' 1979 film, Being There, about a simpleton becoming US president has happened several times since and is about to happen again. Now, I loved uh, Peter Sellers very much, uh, and I think being there was by far and away his greatest film. If you have never seen it, you really must, um, because Peter Sellers is a simpleton. Uh, he's a gardener. Uh, his name is Chance, Chance the gardener. Uh, and he talks, babbles, nonsense, about some people desperate for uh, a political figurehead, uh, start to wonder if he is, in fact, a sage, uh, a soothsayer almost. And they begin to think that his nonsense is actually wisdom. And so they begin to groom him for the presidency. It is truly wonderful. And if you watch it, you must watch the outtakes after the show at the end of the titles. The outtakes are almost as good as the film. The United States are trying to have extradited uh, the world famous, world historic publisher, Julian Assange, and they have moved heaven and earth uh, to bring that about. Uh, they also want to question Prince Andrew. And though Prince Andrew says he's happy to cooperate, uh, surprisingly, no such meeting has uh, taken place. But the United States is resolute uh, that they will not extradite to Britain one Anne Sekoulis. Anne Sekoulis is a very senior intelligence officer in the CIA. Her husband, of lesser rank, is also a CIA officer. They were both uh, stationed at what is 
laughingly described as a Royal Air Force base in England, which was, of course, uh, a cover for an American Air Force base and a nest of American spies. All of that would be boilerplate, except Ansoculus came out of the base, drove her car up the wrong side of the road and killed poor Harry Dunn. Uh, not even 19 years old. Killed him. His family are utterly distraught, not just at the loss of their son, but at the absolute failure of the American government or the British government or their own MP uh, to give them at least the closure that would come uh, with the person responsible who admits that she is responsible being held to account facing justice. Uh, but she didn't face justice. She scarpered out of the country with the full uh, and conspiratorial collaboration of the British Foreign Office. She falsely claimed that she had diplomatic immunity, an immunity which she did not have. That's why there's an Interpol notice out for her arrest. But there has been some good news, limited good news this week. And Rad Seiger, who is the spokesperson for the Harry Dunn family campaign, is a regular guest on the mother of all talk shows and a very fine spokesman he is. He's on next, but first a clip from the bereaved mother, Charlotte Charles. Take a look at this. I'd like to say thank you to the US government for working with the UK government and us to bring about the changes to ensure that another family will never go through the injustice that we are having to suffer um, at the moment. I'd also like to say to the US government not to be afraid to send Ansakulis back. I'm aware that you're worried it would set a precedent, but diplomatic community is not there to cover this situation and each situation should be judged on its own merits. So please rethink that and send her back. I'd also like to say to Anne Sekoulis that she's not being held by the US government that we're aware of and that she is free to put herself on a plane and come over here and face our system, our justice system. I understand it must be scary, of course. Um, I understand that she must be suffering to a certain degree as well, but certainly the suffering is not going to be as bad as what ours is. We've lost a child. Um, she still has all three of hers. We have the fairest justice system in the world. So please just come over, get this over and done with, um, and let's build some bridges. Powerful and from the heart, that was Charlotte Charles. She's the mother of poor Harry Dunn, killed by an American intelligence officer of very senior rank outside an RAF base before he was even 19. Radziger is the best spokesman any family in such desperate straits could possibly reach for, and that happened just because he was their neighbour. Uh, we've been uh, glad to welcome him several times and glad now, Rad, to welcome you back again onto the mother of all talk shows. Uh, let's start with the good news, uh, Rad. What's the meaning 
of the agreement that was reached between the British and American governments on future cases. George, good evening to you and thank you for having me. Look, I just let me remind your listeners and viewers what this campaign is all about. And there were three limbs to it when we started last uh, September, October. The first one, Anne Sekoulis is coming back. And make no mistake, that is exactly what's going to happen. Number two, this will never happen again to a num another family, given the suffering that I have witnessed. We, we committed right from the outset to make sure that this was never going to happen again. And number three, that there was going to be huge improvements in road safety around all bases in the UK, given the often substandard driving that we see from our American friends who, through no fault of their, their own, come over to a completely different um, driving environment and uh, have different, obviously different training. So, George, I can tell you this evening, after this week, that after uh, both governments um, agreed to close what they call an anomaly or a loophole, we say it's a, an absurdity, that dependents or spouses of CIA officers, which is what Ansikoulis was, have greater immunity than uh, the CIA officers themselves. Imagine that, and that's what the government say was the case. Uh, that is the loophole that has been closed. So, heroically, these you know, this family have fought long and hard over these last few months, and that is what they have achieved. Every family living uh, near RAF Croton, and there are tens of thousands of us, can go to bed uh, this weekend certain in the knowledge that if they do encounter bad driving from the Americans, um, that, that that driver will have to stay and face the consequences. So we owe them all a huge debt, um, George. It's an incredible achievement. You know as well as I do that the American government is a bit like a super tanker patrolling around the world. And it's not easy to um, stop a super tanker in its tracks or to get it to change direction. Uh, Charlotte Charles and Tim Dunn, uh, ordinary people from South Northamptonshire, stood up last October when we were in the White House to Donald Trump uh, with, me by the, with me by their side. And we said, no, Mr. President, this is not going to happen. And Anne Coolis is coming back. And look, you know, they have made history. They are, they are, you know, I think, you know, we could, they have left their mark. Harry Dunn has left a major legacy, and we're all slightly better off for it. Incredible. Well, uh, of course, I congratulate you on all of that. And uh, with the family, uh, you have fought a magnificent campaign. Uh, but we're no nearer seeing Sakulas uh, coming back and facing trial for what she uh, did, are we? George, that, you know, like we have to be very careful this evening because if you look at the words that were said earlier in the week by, by, by the American government, by the foreign secretary, look, their position for now is that she is not coming back. You, don't, you no longer hear those words, never, that they were saying when we started this campaign off. That, you know, the position has shifted. And if you, you know, let's put the legality to one side of her position, whether she had diplomatic immunity or not. And that will be decided by the senior courts in London in November. Morally, they, they are bankrupt. 
George, this is an indefensible position. And, you know, the United States for decades has masqueraded around the world as, you know, the most virtuous nation, that we should all follow their example. We should all do as they do. Well, but for the last few months, they have been involved in uh, torturing this family, both mentally and emotionally. And, you know, whilst they're engaged in that, um, they, 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 they have no, they can stake no claim to that, to that position. And, you know, look, they are, they, you know, they, they are damaging their own reputation. And millions of us are in this nation around the world are scratching our heads and saying, well, why should we follow their example when they're doing this to their family? There are many, many um, disgusting uh, human traits that we see. Uh, I think hypocrisy is one of the worst ones. Do as you say. Don't, don't, don't preach to other people. And, you know, if you look at Woody Johnson's, the, you know, the ambassador's Twitter feed and Secretary Pompeo's Twitter feed, you know, they proclaim to be, you know, the guardians, the gatekeepers of the free world. Well, look, you know, until Ansiculus is back, they, have, they can stake no such claim. And just to remind everybody, this is not about vengeance or retribution. This amazing family wished Mrs. Sekoulis no harm. They don't hate her. They hate what she did. But they, you know, they call for um, her to do the right thing, like you and I would have to do, like anybody else would have to do. So the whole issue of diplomatic immunity, as far as we're concerned, is a red herring, even if she had it. If this is not what it's for, and you stay and face your you face the consequences of your action. What sort of example are the American government and Mrs. Sakula setting to her children and to everybody else? We don't run away from problems, we confront them. And it's the least that she could do, it's the least that the American government could do as we approach the one year anniversary of this tragedy to come back and to give this family a bit of justice that we would all want if this had happened to our son and a bit of closure and then she can get on the plane and go back home. Rad Sagar, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows and good luck in November uh, in the uh, High Court. From the United States, Todd, you're the first country and Western artist I have ever spoken to. Uh, so uh, we've made history uh, for a start. Uh, tell us uh, what's the health of the the genre. As I said earlier, it appeals to a rather narrow, quite large, but rather narrow uh, subsection of the population in the United States, doesn't it? Yes, ab absolutely. Uh, first of all, it's nice to meet you, George, and thanks for having me on your show. Uh, what a privilege and an honor to be here. And, you know, primarily country music has been a white space, if you'll, if you, pardon my French, um, as far as uh, marketing and merchandising. But, uh, you know, it has a lot to do with demographics and culture and your upbringing. And I have a lot of uh, uh, fans, uh, a fan base from all over the world, actually, from different races. So I'm trying to break those barriers down uh, to bring more people uh, to it and, uh, and draw them in. How would you define it? I mean, uh, I know that music... Uh like the camel is easy to recognize but difficult to define. But how would you define uh, country and Western music? I mean, it comes yeah. out of the westward expansion of the United States, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Out of rural white America, 
the uh, it's more uh, I guess you'd say ideological. Uh, the romance, the romanization of it, and the fascination of it. But I would just say that country music to me is a certain feeling, attitude, and lifestyle. It's a heartbeat. It's it's how you treat people. It's what you do every day. It's about character to my, you know, the way I look at it. No, uh, I mean, there's been a few big losses in, uh, in your genre, Kenny Rogers uh, and uh, the Wichita lineman. Uh, uh, he, he also passed away. Uh, the um, most famous, I suppose, might be Dolly Parton. Would you agree? I would think so. Dolly Parton is uh, sensational. And she's crossed over, you know, many generations and still going. So, yeah, she's phenomenal. Uh, I love her and uh, much respect for Dolly. Now, uh, am I right in saying that Virtually everyone who comes to see country stars uh, are, uh, are white people. Um, they're not necessarily nowadays rural, uh, but they've got to have some kind of attachment to or affection for, uh, for the rugged uh, outdoors, for the south, for the west uh, of, the, of the country. That's my picture, at least. Yeah. It may be a, a, a cliche, but that's my picture. Uh, in which case, what do you think they're feeling now? that statues are coming down and protests are erupting uh, everywhere uh, over the Black Lives Matter, over slavery, uh, over the role of, uh, of slave traders in the foundation of the state, uh, over the destruction of the Native American population uh, to make way for these settlers. Are any of these issues bubbling under? Do they appear in, in song? Uh, might they be a part of the conversation in the country and Western industry? I think so. I think we're going to have to address it. I think people are being careful right now to be sensitive, you know. Um, I mean, there's so much there's so much chaos going on right now here in America and, of course, around the world. But what's crazy is a lot of these statues that they're tearing down, had they were more uh, advocates than anything. So I, I don't think they've done their homework, uh, honestly. Um, but but destroying property, I, you know, I wouldn't destroy uh, a statue if it if it was back from, you know, the days of of someone who had a uh, a relative and and was a big fan or, or they appreciate their heritage. You know, I, I respect it. You know, it's history. What are you going to do? Race history? You can't. I mean, history's history. So let's move forward and see what we can do to rebuild lives. Yeah, of course, I, I recognize that uh, argument. But um, what would be the reaction, for example, uh, in a country in Western crowd to someone taking the knee? Yeah, I, I, absurd, I think. Um, of course, I've served in the military, and many of my friends have. So being a, you know, a veteran of, of the service, it, it, uh, it tends to really get to us when we see that kind of behavior because we really don't think that that's the route to go because we need to respect our country, whether you're in the UK, uh, United States of America, or wherever you live. You know, you, you kind of uh, embrace your culture, your flag, and what you stand for. So it's a pretty right-wing crowd. Would it be fair to say that, uh, that Donald Trump is, 
is the most popular politician in your genre? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we're we're all pretty much pulling for Trump. Um, I think he's done a great job. I think he's, you know, he of course not everybody's perfect. We all make mistakes, but there's been a definite uh, attack on what he's tried to do, and it's very disturbing to me. And I'm going to stand up for what you know our Constitution is all about. And so uh, it's 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 mind-boggling to the division and what's happening in uh, in our country, but uh, I would think that that's a true true statement, George. Do you think he's going to pull off a second victory, or do you think he's going down? I think he's going to pull it off. I really do. Um, I think he has a strategy. Uh, of course, the Democrats, you know, they're doing everything they can to destroy our country. And Trump's trying doing everything he can to hold on to it. Um, it's it's just insane. And I'm sure you're going to hear a lot of country songs <laughs> birthed from all this, uh, you know, as we as we see this thing unfold. Country star Todd Barrow, thanks for joining us on board the mother of all talk shows. We'll play another few bars uh, of your material. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, Todd was billed as a politically progressive country in Western Star, but I don't know about you, I didn't quite get that from the interview. But nice to talk to him anyway, uh, because all human life is here. Raz is in Croydon on Harry Dunn. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Raz. Good evening, George. Long-time listener, uh, big fan of yours. Thank and, you. And uh, after tonight, I may well hit you up for uh, being a feet-on-the-ground type of individual that cares about our society and joining your party. Well, because well, the only way be nice. forward... Uh, George, um, right, let's cut to the chase now about Harry Dunn. Yeah. I think there was a travesty of justice that went on with Harry Dunn. Yeah. It's not an excuse. I've been to the United States in... Um, say nine times over the last 11 years. Um, yes, for the first day, you have to watch and be excused where you are on the road. But to give the excuse that this woman didn't know that what she was doing, add to that the fact that she... When Harry Dunn's family went over to the US, she was in the Oval Office with President Trump. Yeah, she was, she, was, she was in an anteroom and they wanted... Uh, her to meet the family. Uh, but the family correctly said, if you want to talk to us about what you did, you'll have to do it in an English court. Absolutely. Why does the rule of law not extend from the United States to the United Kingdom the same way that we've kowtowed to them well, that's over right. the time? Julian, oh, 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 Julian Assange never killed anybody. Uh, but they're, they're moving mountains to try and get their hands on him. It's one-way traffic, Raz. It, 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 it absolutely is. And the thing is, again, if we... I mean, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I love American people. I've been there so many times. And the government... Yeah, we all do. I we all I, love them, yeah. I, 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 I think... And, and again, like I say to you, harking back to your earlier days, um, you in front of Congress, man, you destroyed them. <laughs> that was my best day so far. <laughs> George, so you, far. Know what? you didn't you didn't destroy them with lies. You destroyed them with the truth, my friend. It was a triumph. It was a triumph of I, House of Commons versus U.S. Senate. No doubt absolutely, about that. Absolutely, absolutely, George. But the way 
I see is again, let's have some parity between this special exactly, relationship. Yeah. 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 Let, let's make sure that we get as good as we're given. And it should be a two-way street, and it isn't. And I really feel... Well, look, you know, Raz, you know, I, I, I'm in favour of the special relationship. I just don't want the kind of special relationship that Miss Lewinsky had with President Clinton. I don't need to take the analogy much further uh, than that with you, I'm sure. Let's uh, talk with Jared in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Jared. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Uh, hello, George. And uh, I just want to get off the, just saying right away, uh, we just, um, my, my father had a 106 fever yesterday. Uh, and uh, he was taken to the hospital, and the doctor said he may have, yes, and he may have uh, COVID. Oh, I'm sorry to hear and that, this is, this is very, This is very serious, because I live with him, too. Yeah. So he may have affected all of us in our house. So we're quarantining as of right now. I can't go to work. Uh, none of us can go to work, and it's, it's a disaster what's going on. Well, really how bad is it in Pennsylvania? Is that one of the worst affected areas? It's not one of the worst affected mm. areas, but we've been seeing a rise recently. Um, New York is sort of like the black hole almost. And then you got like all these other states that are starting to become... Well, Florida's uh, rapidly catching up. Arizona, Texas, yeah, all these... Uh, all these states with all these these these, um, these lunatics not wearing masks or, you know, going out in public touching things and just it, it's insane. And we have a president who, um, uh, shall we say, uh, is spends more time tweeting than actually leading at this point. Could you imagine if FDR um, uh, spent all of his time just tweeting about just the dumbest things on earth after Pearl Harbor. Yeah, well, uh, of course, it didn't exist uh, then. Uh, but I see Trump was regretting that he spent too much time on Twitter. I saw that uh, in an interview he did this week. Um, you know, in a way, Twitter was the making of him and might in the end be the unmaking of him, do you think? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much how he basically got his start. Um, you know, just having all these, you know, tweets, uh, some of them funny, some of them just outright insane. Uh, it's, um, it's very interesting to see his decline over these uh, last few um, years. And... Um, um, and, and since we're talking about the abolishment of the monarchy, I will be the first American to say, 
I think it is time for us to bring back the monarchy to the uh, I could be King George. You could bring me back as King George, who lost the place. (laughs) Yes. He lost it. I could take it back. Jared, uh, I sincerely (laughs) wish your father all the best and hope uh, that uh, it hasn't uh, spread through the family and that you all uh, pull through. Uh, And uh, may God bless you all. Thanks very much indeed for bringing us that call uh, from Pennsylvania to the end of the uh, second hour. Uh, The Royal Row, who's in the right? William and Kate, 38%. Harry and Meghan, 11%, down one. Abolish the monarchy, 51%, up one. 1,341 of you voted on my Twitter feed, and that poll is now closed. Um, Richard says the royals are the number one benefit scroungers in the world. And Jorge says wrong side of the road is rubbish. She has been in the country long enough to drive on the right side of the road. She wouldn't have fled the scene, let alone the country. And Virginia says, I think Biden wants to sabotage his presidency and wants Trump to win. And Roy says, we don't want any U.S military bases in the UK. Maya says it was a hit and run, no accident. She didn't stop. And Jill says, could the vaping illnesses and deaths of last year have been COVID? Well, we need to get this public inquiry uh, up and running at Jill so that we can answer some of these questions. Uh, Lar, Scouser Lar says we should definitely abolish the monarchy. Uh, The worshipping of these people by monarchists and the right-wing media is a disturbing cult. And Phil says, George, can you try Lancashire tea? It's far superior to its Yorkshire alternative. Phil, I don't know how many times I've got to say this. It's not Yorkshire tea. It's only a Yorkshire tea cup. It's Redbush tea. It's Redbush tea that I drink. There's no product placement here. On the contrary, I might drink out of their mug, but I wouldn't drink their tea. And on YouTube, Michael says, no one is above the law. And Kelly says, Dolly Parton for Biden's vice presidential running mate. That's not a bad call, actually. Uh, He says it's going to be a woman, and there are few finer women on the earth than Dolly Parton. Apart from my own wife, who may, right at this moment, for all I know, be going into labor and about to deliver my sixth child. The due date is on Tuesday. Please keep your fingers crossed for all. She hadn't given birth five minutes ago, I'm told, by my editor. I might ask how he knows that. Dr. Ranjit, thank you uh, again for uh, joining us. What would be your answer uh, to that question? Is this a second wave? or just a continuation of the first? George, great to be back with you. Um, it's, it's a kind of a, almost an academic question. Uh, definitions are fluid and keep changing. Um, but probably uh, we're still seeing the end, at least in Britain, of a first wave of infections. Um, obviously, we're well past our spike when we were having, as you said, on probably more than 20 consecutive days more than a thousand deaths 
per day in our country, a massive number, really. Um, right now, the rates are really low. If you're in the hospitals, the way we've worked has changed very much, but we don't, we're definitely not overwhelmed with cases, but our capacity is low because of the way we're working. Um, but if you look at the number of deaths, it's really flat-lined, it's not gone away. Uh, we're consistently having several hundred, probably last week, 450 to 500 deaths again. Though there's been some argument about the way in which those deaths are recorded, we tend to see under-reporting rather than over-reporting. And again, if we go back to the true figures. We're acknowledging currently about uh, 46,000 deaths in England in all settings in the official figures, but probably we're in excess of 70 if you look at excess mortality. And those numbers are keeping on going. They're not going away. And as we've said, as we come out of the period um, where we have summer, where we're able to maintain some kind of social distance, where we're packed together, where people anyway are a bit immunosuppressed when, when the weather starts to change, we're likely to see an increase in cases. And certainly if we look on the world stage, uh, we're seeing unprecedented numbers right now. We're seeing on a daily basis uh, more than a quarter, not quite a third, kind of 270, 280 thousand cases per day. The United States is up to 16.3 million, still very much in, in the in the heart of their, uh, sorry, USA is up to 4.3 million, sorry, in the heart of their uh, first wave. And United States, India and Brazil together account for half of the world's cases. And we're seeing huge numbers, um, particularly in the United States, in three or four states. So initially started in Washington, but now, of course, we're seeing huge numbers in Florida, in Texas, and in California. So overall, on the world stage, we're very much in the first wave. In England, probably we're dying towards the end of our first wave, but very much um, not the end of this story, George. Um, people are understandably tired uh, of of the story uh, to an extent, but it's still having a massive impact on our lives. If we go out now this week, obviously the government have made it compulsory to wear masks in shops. And I think more and more people are, are, are doing so. A far higher percentage of the population than I've ever seen as I'm walking around are wearing masks out and about. And I think that's uh, entirely reasonable and appropriate. The danger is still with us, George. Yes, uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised uh, at I mean, masks are now hegemonic. Uh, so much so, the SNP have started to make them in SNP colours. Uh, everyone is wearing a mask, even in London today, uh, where some predicted uh, that uh, it was only snowflakes that would be wearing masks uh, and so on. I was pleasantly surprised. Virtually everybody was wearing uh, a mask. And that's only right, isn't it? I mean, I'm so old, I remember all of these same arguments against the mask being made when seatbelts were compulsory, uh, made compulsory in cars, uh, crash helmets made compulsory for motorcyclists. Uh, people are just being foolish by building this up into some kind of civil liberties issue. It's a public health issue, isn't it? I think that's exactly right, George. Uh, it's, it's a public health issue where it's, a, it's common sense that we will reduce the rate of transmission by wearing masks. And even though it's not a perfect barrier, 
it reduces the number of large droplets and also the number of small droplets, the distance they travel, and therefore the likelihood of transmission. And that, on a population basis, has a large impact. So, yeah, very much worthwhile. And they're all the very spurious reasons I've seen, from the kind of psychological control to the uh, will decrease your oxygenation and is some kind of threat to your respiration. Those are all, to me, totally spurious arguments, and certainly they're, they're not backed up by any kind of evidence. Um, there are still kind of interesting issues which are coming out about uh, uh, the coronavirus in terms of policy. I think the um, uh, Institute for Public Policy Research published a report, which whilst not rocket science, is a confirmation of the things that we've been saying all along. They, they, they pointed to the fact that, you know, Britain has one of the lowest rate of hospital beds in the world, in the developed world certainly, but kind of more comparable to India than to Japan or Korea, where they have 10 beds per thousand of the population, we have less than two. Um, so they said that there was a vast undercapacity uh, in our hospitals, which has made the pandemic worse. They said there was a, as a result, over-occupancy. It's very often the case that you find the hospitals are fully occupied prior to the pandemic. Um, and there's a there's a kind of an alert system, a, a color-coded alert system, black watch, silver watch, platinum watch. There are all these kind of codes to indicate that actually there are no beds in the hospital and they're desperately trying to discharge people from the hospital. So our occupancy rate is very often in excess of 95%, 97%, 98% nationally. Um, whereas they have suggested that to resist this kind of pandemic and to have resilience in the system, we should have an occupancy rate of about 85%. And in fact, that's what it used to be um, in, the, in the 80s. Uh, prior to a massive program of bed cutting. So, you know, not, not rocket science, George, but re-emphasizing the fact that this was a problem that was entirely made um, by our emphasis on what they call efficiency, but really is a, a, a process of reducing capacity in order to increase rationing and to push a policy um, that would enable and soften the NHS up for privatisation. So interesting bit of research that's come out, or report rather, from the IPPR. Very uh, interesting. And of course, we need to uh, add to the casualty list uh, the people who have other illnesses, other complaints, uh, who have died at home, who haven't even presented maybe uh, to doctors or gone to hospitals, uh, you know, I scold my children when they're climbing or doing something reckless uh, that, uh, you know, if you break your leg here, there's no place in the hospital for you because of the coronavirus. I'm joking, of course, but the, uh, the numbers of people who've died that might not otherwise have died because of the pressure of the virus on the NHS, they're also, in a sense, indirect victims of the virus. They, they, they absolutely are, George. Uh, we've said before, we've got 10 million people waiting for a ho um, a hospital appointments and procedures in the NHS. There's absolute record numbers. And, you know, the hospitals, despite that, are almost eerily quiet at the moment. They're eerily quiet, partly because of the reduced capacity because of the way we're operating them, partly because people are desperate to stay away. They have seen what happened uh, uh, in the pandemic. Hospitals became a hotspot for transmission. And by early discharging, um, and, and you know, uh, almost criminal uh, policy of discharging patients with COVID from hospitals to nursing homes, 
to increase capacity in what is, as we said, a, a system without capacity, a massive transfer into the most vulnerable places. So hospitals are, are, are becoming feared places. It's almost kind of medieval in our approach yeah, right now. Like the, like the old mental hospitals or mental homes, bedlam and so on. That's, that's I think, uh, widely felt. Don't go near the hospital un unless you're unconscious and you're being carted into it. People are afraid to go, no question. And then people are coming if they absolutely have to. But then we're seeing late presentations of emergencies and therefore poor outcomes of those emergencies. And of course, then a larger number of people will not attend hospital and will have fatalities at home. And we don't know yet the true toll, but I can tell you that cancer services across the country are seeing far lower rates of referral are able to deal with those referrals far slower. There were four, four, you know, fewer procedures happening. And the, the incidence, the rate of those diseases will not have changed in the population. So yeah, in addition to the toll taken by the coronavirus, there'll be a far wider toll taken by the fact that, as we have said, in my opinion, the hospitals have been overwhelmed because they've been unable to cope with this. And again, that IPPR report essentially said it would have been far better instead of spending that money um, several billion on, well, they've, sold, they've spent 3.2 billion on PPE. It's come out this week as well. It's a huge figure, uh, very inefficiently spent and still were unable to provide PPE because it wasn't brought at the right time and in a timely manner and the wrong PPE brought. But equally, the policy to open up all the Nightingale hospitals, which we know were underused, was the, was the wrong um, uh, kind of spending at the wrong time uh, in the wrong place. There's been dramatic cuts in social care, so our ability to care for people in the community. There have been dramatic cuts in capacity. And really what was needed were centres where we could take people who had the virus and care for them in a situation where they were isolated from the community and isolated from the most vulnerable in our hospitals and elsewhere. And that's been obvious to us all the way through, George, but that's becoming increasingly the spoken of narrative, but in a way which uh, is put across uh, in a way that, that absolves any responsibility. This was just a kind of natural event that couldn't be avoided. And, and I disagree with that as well, because as we know, and as we've said before, Operation Cygnus was provided, uh, presided over by Jeremy Hunt, by this essentially this, this conservative uh, government, certainly they're, they're a lot of their colleagues. Uh, and in that context, they quite clearly saw that all their policies would lead to our inability to cope with the pandemic. Now, clearly they didn't know a pandemic was two years away, but pandemics are actually regular occurrences and a part of our planning. Uh, um, should be a part of our planning. But they made the decision to bury that policy, to bury that report, not to make adequate preparations for this pandemic quite deliberately because it interfered with their general policy, which is one of privatization of the National Health Service, George. Dr. Ranjit, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I fear uh, you'll have to go on meeting me uh, because this isn't uh, going away uh, anytime soon. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. What is your favorite musical genre? Classical, 11% only. I speak as a double bass player myself uh, in orchestral settings. Uh, B, rock and roll, 74%. I knew you were all rock and roll types. C, jazz, 15%. Uh, and uh, 216 of you have voted uh, so far. Lots and lots of different genres here. Uh, Stephen, for example, uh, prefers post-romantic atonal expressionism, don't we all? Let's hear from Chris in Colchester. Go ahead, Chris. Hiya. Hi. Um, yeah, well, I just keep hearing an argument about seatbelts, but it's, it's such a silly argument because there's decades of 
evidence to show that seatbelts uh, work, whereas masks, there's conflicting studies uh, from different health professionals. Yeah, we can believe work. Chris in Colchester or we can believe Dr. Ranjit Brar. Which do you think I believe, Chris? Well, let's, let's, go, let's talk about that, shall we? About the World Health Organization that changed their stance. They, yeah. changed it through political, they changed it through political lobbying. It had nothing to do. Well, You've got you such a that? poor view of doctors. He's not, another doctor would have a complete... Why don't you get Sinatra Gupta on? She's, she's a top epidemiologist at Oxford who's basically been ignored. It's because you agree with him you keep getting him back on. But he's a communist. He wants to get the uh, <laughs> he's economy... He's a communist? What does yeah, that have to do with whether he masks wants the work? He wants the economy to fall apart. He's been cheering this on the whole time. I don't... Why are you personally attacking me? Are you serious? Me? Are you serious? He yeah, wants the economy to collapse. He's been cheering this on all along. I, have, have they just let you out for the weekend? Look at his Twitter, Fred. There's going to be 200 deaths through lockdown, which he supports and you support. If you saw the other day in the Telegraph. So don't make out this. And the World Health Organization said Syria gas babies. Do you agree with that? Or were they lying then? I'll tell you what, Chris. I think that Broadmoor should switch your radio off because you have just provided a torrent of slander against a physician, a surgeon, a communist, you say, cheering on the, the COVID-19, you say, the World Health Organization, communist. Off you go, Chris. Get back to your padded cell. Sean is in Stevenage. Go ahead, Sean. Hello, George. How come nearly every time I ring up, you're booting people off the line? <laughs> <laughs> it's been just bad luck, Sean. I think it might be. Yeah, you've missed a you've missed a section out of your music poll. The heavy metal rock and roll—that's what it should say. I, I just knew that none, nobody with the good sense to listen to me would also <laughs> listen to heavy metal. Why not? <laughs> You're not a headbanger, are you? I have been for ooh, quite a few decades, I'm afraid. Really? I've just never gotten into that. Who? Who's your, uh, your tipple? Oh, nearly everybody from the Rolling Stones to Ramstein, but I mean... But you wouldn't the call the Rolling through. Stones heavy metal. No, but they, they were the... roll. They, they were the start of it, and I love everything totally from rock, rock and, and roll. roll but I like it. I love the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah, love yeah. Everything, for anybody that picks a guitar up and makes a noise, yeah. uh, does it for me. I, 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 you know, I, they called it, when I was at school, they called it uh, prog rock and progressive rock yeah, and so yeah. on. I never did get what was progressive about it. But people would walk around with albums under their arms uh, from, you know, Led Zeppelin and, uh, and uh, what was the, the other one uh, that I'm thinking? Deep Purple, Black Sabbath. Deep Purple, take, take, Black take. Sabbath and... Uh, and, and others, uh, they'll come yeah. back to me. Uh, you clearly but, weren't in the right school with the right drugs, George. Uh, well, see, I've never even seen a drug, never mind taken one. <laughs> I, I've led a sheltered uh, life. I was at the barricades from the age of 15. Wow. Sean, go on. I've had a misspent youth. I, I just want to, to, to caution people something. Something Jared from Pennsylvania said about yeah. idiots not wearing masks. Uh, and, and just picking up something Dr. Braz said again, it, it, I love every time he's on your show. He's wonderful, um, yeah. We need to be a bit careful here. We need to be careful. 
there's a bit of a narrative being spun, I think, behind the scenes with the government starting to shift blame a little bit from themselves and their own totally inept performance. And they're to blame for why this virus has taken hold here in the UK. Don't go blaming people who aren't wearing masks for their ineptness. And there seems to be a narrative shift here so the government can say, oh, look, we've had a second spike and it's all your fault for not wearing masks. When it comes to these masks, they're also insulting our intelligence. I've worked with filtrations and filter systems. I've read some of the articles where masks are said not to be that good and other articles recently where the science is saying they're effective, etc. There's an awful lot of data I could go into about filter size, filtration, whether it's micron or nanometers. Nanometers, you're talking the dimensions of the virions for this virus. There's flow rates, pressure rates, there's boundary layers going through pores, all sorts of things as to how and why a mask might be effective. But when I look and the BBC are telling people, you can make your own mask, and then you can go back into the shops wearing the mask and spend money and make us profits, or you can go to the pub or the restaurant, but don't wear a mask, because clearly you can't eat or drink through a mask, but spend money and make us profits. And you can go to work and work in a crowded workspace and wear this mask and make us profits. And what's this mask made of? Your old underpants. Basically, the government's trying to tell us, go back to work, go back to shopping, go back to spending money and wear old underpants on your head. You'll be fine. Well, uh, that's very powerful uh, and entirely logical. Um, of course, masks don't stop the virus. The virus is far smaller uh, than the inevitable hole in any mask. What it does is inhibit uh, the water, the saliva, uh, the snot uh, in which the virus is traveling. Uh, you will... You will I'm not sneeze on as many people. You will not cough on as many people. I would agree if that was the method of transmission, but we, we've been told it's aerosolized. Well, aeros but it can't be aerosolized until it gets into the air. Yeah, and we've been told it potentially can hang around in the air. I remember back yeah, in course. March, somebody was saying it would hang around for three or four Sean. hours. It's not a panacea, but it's, neither, is a, neither is a crash helmet. Neither is a seatbelt, uh, but well, it, it's, it's at least adding to your chances of not possibly. getting it. But not when you cut up an old pair of underpants no, and put no, them on your no, head and wander around course. thinking you're, you're going to uh, infect people. I, I wouldn't dream of uh, any such if thing. They were, if they were N95 masks, which I know we're keeping those back for the NHS, etc. If they're FFP3 or N95 masks and the government said we bought 120 million of them, you can all have two each, fine. I wouldn't be quibbling. They've spent three billion pounds on PPE, uh, as, as Dr. Ranjit pointed out, uh, at the wrong time, with the wrong stuff, uh, from the wrong people, uh, and still there are people in the NHS that don't have it. And that, that's three disgraceful. Billion, that's three disgraceful. billion. And, and which makes, it, makes me wonder what sort of quality of make and quality of build are the masks they're going to yeah. be dishing out to yeah. people. Well, if you're, Again, if, you're venture, if you're a venture capitalist somewhere in the Tory party's pocket, uh, you've got a fair chance of getting a contract. Well, we spoke about this last week. They're dishing out contracts without tendering competition to all sorts of firms that have never had any experience in doing any of this. What sort of 
what masks are they buying if that's what they're dipping into? Yeah, well, uh, I, uh, I'm confident about my mask. I hope you are about yours, Sean. Many thanks indeed uh, for a terrific and entertaining call. Uh, the uh, poll is going interestingly. Classical is up too. You see, some people were uh, quiet classical uh, fans. They, uh, just like a quiet Tory or a quiet Trump supporter, they didn't really want to own up. But it has gone up too to 14%. Rock and roll down five, down five. Uh, that's at 69. Jazz is at 17, up two. So you can also suggest your own in the comments section, of course, and I'd uh, be delighted to read some out. Hazel loves folklore. Ben loves punk rock. Stephen, as I said, loves post-romantic atonal expressionism. Basil likes Pink Floyd. Uh, God rest Peter, uh, Peter uh, Reed. Was it Peter? Who's Peter? Who? Peter Green. Peter Reed was a footballer. Forgive me, Peter Reed, if you're listening. Peter Green. I remember him only for Albatross. Uh, Tom loves reggae. Craig says, I like music that sounds good. Uh, Kevin says, George, do you know Wiley? The only Wiley I know is Bob Wiley. Uh, Helen says, Hawaiian sack key music. Is that a thing? And on email, Rob says, I love George Galloway. He speaks the truth, the real truth, of how imperialism has screwed this planet. Thank you, Rob. Alex says, I would like to see the four nations of the current UK as equal entities within a federation with the ability to set their own laws, economic, social, and transport policy, but with a shared defence, currency, and central bank. I believe national decisions are based, made in the respective capitals, and not necessarily in London. And Andrew says Biden would win with Dolly Parton. Debbie says only an idiot would think a mask will suffocate a person. The few idiots around, Deb. And Neil says, try and say snowflake on a ventilator in an ICU ward. That's if you can get into an ICU ward and if they've got any spare ventilators. And JC says, masks work at reducing people's bad breath on other people. A gesture that is polite. And Bunny says, it sounds like fun in the studio. Indeed it is, and I hope you're having fun too amidst all the serious issues that we're talking about. Let's hear from Jimmy in Melbourne, who's up very early in Australia. Jimmy, go ahead. Yeah, hi, George. Hi. Uh, look, the previous caller kind of summed up what I was kind of going to get to. Uh, this uh, particular and the, uh, and the mask ratings were... It's hard to sort of say when you've got people that are just walking around and they've got a face covering, that whether or not it stops the virus, well, yeah, who knows? It doesn't and stop it. Time. It doesn't stop it, Jimmy. It just means there's less uh, fluid uh, coming out of your mouth. Well, but there's fluid coming out. Well, say, for instance, if you're going to be coughing, wouldn't you say that you'd, just be, you'd put your hand over your mouth and you'd cover it up? Yeah, that's just etiquette. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. You know but, then your hand go, but then your hand goes somewhere, doesn't it? Your hand yeah. goes on, uh, on, on a door handle. Yeah, but you, you can't. But you can't wash your hands if you're out. And uh, if you're out, you're touching uh, other people. Uh, per perhaps you're touching other surfaces. Uh, if you press, I no longer do. But the uh, the I don't know if you've got them in Australia. But these 
traffic uh, signals, so you press yeah, if you yeah, want to done. cross. Uh, how many people have touched that? And how many people coughed in their hand before they did, do did so? And so on. It's not but, a panacea, on, Jimmy. It's just, yeah, it's just giving yourself a wee bit of a break. Well, look, I've, I've been touching everything and I'm still fine. Well, yeah, lucky you, lucky you, but Jared, Jared in Pennsylvania's old, old father uh, is down with 106 temperature. The fact that you're and, fine, and look, like I say, like I, I'm I say fine to too, Jimmy. I speak to her on the phone, George. Jimmy, Jimmy. I'm, on the phone, I'm just like, look, I would wear a mask if I was going to go and see her because she's elderly. You know, so if yeah. I was going to be around old people or people with that sort of, uh, you know, I suppose, that disposition and that age, you know, of course. Like when I was ever sick or I had a cold, I'd never go and visit my nana. Yeah, that's just so you're, you're not against masks in principle? Well, yes, I'm not against masks if you're going to be around people where they're more vulnerable, 100%. Yeah, of course. But if you're just walking down the street and there's nobody around, I really cannot see the point in having to wear a mask. OK, Jimmy, thanks very much indeed from Melbourne. Good morning to you. Uh, let's take Rob in Merseyside on the care homes and COVID. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, George, can you hear me OK? Good evening. Good evening, sir. Yes, I hear you very well. Thank you. OK, um, I'll get straight to it. Um, I think the way the government handled the care home situation insofar as um, they placed people that were otherwise healthy into care homes is a travesty. Uh, totally. Uh, Dr. Ranjit um, was uh, reluctant to call it a crime, uh, but I will. Uh, it's criminal what happened yeah. in Scotland yeah. and in England. Uh, in the sending of old people into care homes that uh, should have been in hospital and the forbidding of old people in the care homes from going to hospital. I believe criminal charges will, in the end, uh, have to be brought or should be. Yeah, there will be a day of reckoning, hopefully, yeah. for, for those responsible for that. Yeah. And that's all, really, I had to say, to be honest. Um, it's a very fine uh, point, and uh, I'm glad. Have you avoided it yourself, Rob? I've managed to, uh, yeah, this far. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of those around me, and, uh, and I'm just, I suppose I'm tearing the line, for want of a better word. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big supporter of face masks. I mean, I, I don't, I, I wear one, um, but it's primarily not to antagonise um, the people that I'm uh, around if I'm in a shop. So, well, the um, shop workers uh, have got to take every measure that they can, don't they? Uh, after all, they have no choice uh, but to be breathed on by us uh, because that's their job. Um, and I think we should do everything that we can, even if it's a small reduction of risk. Uh, we should do everything that we can to avoid making them sick. No, that's that's that, that's fair enough. I, I keep my distance, and I, I I normally shop cashless. But we do yeah. live in strange times. We do, my goodness, we do. Rob, thank you very much indeed uh, for that call. Uh, let's take a sixty-second break. That's all. Stay tuned. Tough questions are the most powerful weapon we have. 
As long as you have questions, we'll keep asking. Radio Sputnik. Telling the untold. in mainstream media join the revolution with mother of all talk shows has been instrumental in making brain and heart of people stronger like kettlebell for mind don't be brainwashed cc an open mind to new way of thinking if you don't know how george will teach you if you won't learn he will make you. <laughs> Speak to Comrade Galloway if you think you're hard enough on the mother of all talk shows. Radio Sputnik. The mother of all talk shows. With George Galloway. The world is our classroom. And you're welcome to sit in and join the seminar. Very funny that was. Who's that Russian? Who's that Russian masquerading as a comrade? Uh, what's your favorite musical genre? Classical, 15%. Up one. It's mounting. Rock and roll, 70%. Also up one. And jazz, 15%. Down two, I'm sorry to say. Uh, you can vote until the end of the show on my Twitter feed. Let me know, just so I get a better picture of who the audience are. Let's take a call from Daniel in Trieste, because we're on a world tour in Italy. Daniel, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, George. Um, um, I wanted to talk about uh, the coronavirus and particularly about masks, because I see that's a, a, a strong topic these days. Um, I want to say that in Italy, we wore masks. Uh, we wore them for a long time. We still wear them when, when we go into shops. And we didn't get out of our homes if we didn't have to. That lasted for two months. And police actually fined or even jailed you for not wearing a mask or being out for no reason. And yes, it was harsh, but it worked. I mean, of course, since we reopened, the numbers drop, dropped less sharply, but at least it's much more manageable now. We never had the, we never got to the point of um, having to refuse people to, to cure people in hospitals. So that was, that was a good thing. And uh, yeah, secondly, I was pleasantly surprised when the EU closed the borders to the U.S. because I was scared the U.S. would bully us into keeping the borders open. So I'm thankful, thankful for that. And, um, and finally, if you allow me, uh, about China, here in Italy, most people see China and Americans bashing each other over, over the virus. And there are fake news all the time, so it's hard to, for some to understand the truth. But we can believe what we see with our own eyes. And uh, Italy was the first Western country to be hit with the virus. And China came to help right away, sending supplies and experts before the EU did anything to help us. So I'd say mostly we're grateful to China for that. Daniel, that's the best call of the night. Thank you very much indeed. From Trieste, let's go to Cornwall, where Brian wants to talk about the same thing. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, yes, George. Uh, I think it's a good thing with these masks, with people wearing the masks and that, uh, especially when you're out and about. Uh, I, went today, I went to a place today, a shop today, in, into South Ash, and uh, everybody was wearing masks. Everybody, except for these four uh, men, four men, 
which didn't have the mask. I, I didn't have the mask on. And uh, when they was, when I said to them, why haven't you got the mask on? They started talking their foreign language and looked at each other and laughed at them. So I said to the people, uh, one of the one of the store staff there, I said, why haven't they got the mask on then? You know, everybody had masks on. And uh, they said, we cannot police it. We've been told, the government's told them, they cannot make anybody wear the masks. No, they can't make them, no. Um, but the shops can make uh, uh, a rule, and anyone who breaks that rule can be asked to leave the shop. And if they don't leave it, uh, then they can be guilty of, uh, of a criminal offence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, of course, there are lots of get-out clauses. If the mask is causing you distress and so on, uh, then uh, you've got uh, an opt-out and so on. Nothing's perfect. It's not perfect. And no, no, the, perfect. the problem of uh, the coronavirus in Britain is vastly more uh, greater uh, than the issue of masks, uh, the Definitely. care homes issue, the PPE issue, the failure to track and trace, uh, the failure to stop flights coming in by the dozen every day from the worst affected places on the planet. Uh, the uh, statistical inaccuracies, the deliberate suppression uh, of uh, death numbers over 20 days. 1,000 people died every day, uh, but on not one of those days did the government admit that 1,000 people had died. They only admitted it later. Uh, the uh, failure to prepare for such a pandemic when their own exercise, Operation Signet, had told them exactly what would likely happen if Britain were to be hit by a pandemic such as we have been. All of these are vastly more important issues than masks. But we can't do anything about those right at this moment, although we must in time. Uh, we're at this moment, here. At this moment, uh, Brian, we can, we can reduce the chances of giving it to somebody just a little bit by wearing a mask, so why not wear one? 100% George. George, I bought a box of masks. I bought a big box of masks. So I've got them in my car, I've got them in my truck. I've got the masks everywhere, so there's no... There's, it's £10 for 50 masks. Right, £10 for a box of masks. If, if somebody can't spend £10 for a mask to go out shopping and do whatever they've got to do to keep everybody out safe, we're lucky down here because it's been a month into Plymouth, the Derriford Hospital in Plymouth, there's no deaths of this COVID for one whole month solid. We're very, very lucky down here in the southwest. We haven't, especially in Cornwall, you know, we haven't, we haven't been hit. But with all the, the visitors coming down here and from all over the country, from all over the world, no doubt, we don't know what they've got. So the masks is better for us down here to keep us safe. I feel a lot safer going into a shop where everybody's got the masks on. Yeah, I don't know about a lot, but we're definitely safer. Brian, thanks for that excellent call from Cornwall. Uh, Mark is in North Carolina, wants to talk about country music. Maybe he thinks I've misrepresented it. Let's find out. Mark, welcome. Yeah, I'm going there, George. George, uh, yeah, you know, I was listening to that guy, but you got to realize, one man, you know, it depends on what we mean by progressive. If you take like myself, 
I'm uh, when it comes to economic issues, I'm left of Bernie Sanders. When I'm when it talks about imperialism, anti-imperialism, me and you are in the same uh, are in the same boat. You know, I think we should get out all our troops out of this various parts of the world, and that's it. But then again, on social issues like, for instance, gun rights. I believe everybody has a right to have a gun. I believe plain and simple. I, I think that should be a, that's a natural right, and it goes with our Constitution here in the United States. And I think Brit, British people should have it also. So, you know, it depends on what we mean by, uh, you know, and I'm against abortion, of course. But that's the thing. It depends on what we mean by progressive. That's and a very good point you're making, Mark. What is left? What uh, is right? What is progressive? I mean, my views on abortion are the same as yours. I think even on, on gun rights, the same as yours. Am I therefore a reactionary? Am I therefore right wing? Uh, if so, I don't want to be left wing. But some uh, people are. But, but, <laughs> but come back to country music. Uh, did I misrepresent okay. it? Yeah, to a degree you did, because I don't know if you, I'm pretty sure you heard of Johnny Cash, you know? You of and course. Me around of course. Hey, a great, a great hey, man, yeah. Johnny, a great man. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash wrote a lot, sang a lot about American Indians or Native Americans, what do you want to call them? Okay, including Ira Hayes, the great uh, the Marine that, was, that unfortunately died in a drunken stupor in Arizona. Um, he, wrote, he also, about the various tribes, like the Seneca tribe, how they were screwed over by the um, government. Uh, they made a deal with George Washington and, um, you know, they got screwed over. And plenty of others. And he himself, I believe, was part of Native American. If you look at him, I'm pretty sure he was, too. He's, uh, so, I mean, he, you know, he was very progressive as far as that went. And um, to a degree, uh, other country singers, too, like uh, Merle Haggard, could be. It depends on what he was singing about, you know. But definitely Johnny Cash. So, I mean, you do have Brilliant point. Very Brilliant point. I'm cutting you short only because of the hour. And because Shadow in Denver is on the line. Go ahead, Shadow. Good afternoon, George. Hi. You're, you're a national treasure, international treasure. Thank you so much. Uh, when, I was, when we were listening to our uh, progressive uh, guest, uh, Todd Barrow, uh, it made me think of uh, how desperately our country needs ranked choice voting. Uh, and how it is suppressed by both the Democrats and Republicans. Uh, I don't know if you have ranked choice. No, we don't. Uh, we don't uh, in the form that you uh, are talking about. We have uh, in certain elections for the London mayoralty, for example. Uh, uh, so I got 154,000 uh, first or second preference votes uh, for London mayor. Uh, the Scottish Parliament elections are also proportional to an extent, though not in the form uh, that you're referring to, which is much more proportional. So you'd vote for Donald Trump, one, uh, Joe Biden, two, you might write in Jesse Ventura, three, and so on. That's what you mean, yeah? Yes, exactly. And, uh, uh, you know, we just don't have enough uh, awareness just because both parties are fighting against it. Maine is the only state that is actually successfully but both your, par your parties are two cheeks of the same ass they sure are yeah i i have uh, way too much to complain about on your show from the dollar and how it's not backed by anything anymore uh and you know to 
you know. Anyway, I'll tell you what, Shadow, you're in one of the loveliest places on God's green earth, Denver, Colorado, one of the loveliest places I've ever been to. I spoke there uh, some years ago now. Uh, Shadow, thank you very much for that call. As I say, the hour is against us, and we need to go to Oakland, California, where Jason is on the line. Jason, welcome. All right. Hey, George, love this show. Thanks thank for you. everything, man. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Um, I just wanted to talk. Yeah, I just wanted to talk because um, about actually it was it, it, it kind of connects with the last gentleman and how he spoke about you know he's pro um, um, abortion and pro. Uh, no, he, he was anti-abortion and pro-gun rights. Or anti-anti-abortion. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that's what I meant. Um, and basically, my point was is that how in the United States, I know they do a lot in Western countries. Period, is how the politicalization of literally every issue, you know, gender, sex, you know, it's always politicized in this country and even weaponized and used against the people, if you will. Um, one point I wanted to quickly make is that with all of the protests and stuff, um, and like some of these protesters being demonized, whatnot, MLK was demonized. MLK was public enemy number one by the Cointel Pro. You know, so it's just like, I feel like every issue gets rep, uh, weaponized, and that's kind of the downfall of the United States. Well, not only the United States, uh, everything uh, in the West is sexualized or it's politicized. Uh, one's language is uh, rigorously policed, uh, especially on social media and so on. Uh, things are branded uh, what they were never intended to be. Uh, things are called hate speech uh, that are merely disagreement, uh, albeit sometimes vehement. Uh, disagreement. Uh, it, it's a Western vice. It's a first world problem, Jason. Absolutely. I also think that because of that, like, you know, we think that there's this, like, this idea of freedom and being able to do whatever we want, whatnot, or not just this freedom, period. But I think it's kind of like a joke. And because of that, that's the reason why that people are like, oh, you're, you're, you're infringing on my rights by making me wear a mask and all this stuff, the whole idea of freedom pretty much kind of yeah. like, it just, it, it, it's what's making, you know, this place fall apart. Everyone thinks, oh, yeah, I have the ability to do what I want. You're, you're stepping on my rights. But it's a joke. Yeah, uh, Jason, in the words of uh, Janis Joplin, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Me and Bobby McGee, thanks for that uh, wonderful call. Julie says... Uh, Jimmy, it's masket or casket. That's a good one. Masket or the casket. And Teresa says, God bless all of you who are suffering from all this mayhem and chaos and planned carnage. And Richard says, there's music, then there's Bob Marley. And Lucchesi says, if you think about it, there are also opportunities to create new, possibly temporary occupations to solve the COVID situation. And James on YouTube says, Sunday night is piano practice for me. I'm learning what a wonderful world with George and guests rapping over my playing. It's rather surreal. I'm renaming the song, What a Woeful World. <laughs> That's brilliant, James. And Connor says, Boris and his chums are trying to destroy the NHS through inefficiency. And Steve says, 
George, any recordings of your bass playing? Would like to hear. No, because I was a child at the time and recording didn't really uh, exist. I played in the Dundee Schools Orchestra, the St. Cecilia uh, Orchestra. And I can still play a bit, but no recordings. <clears throat> no, I'm more a singer these days. Uh, now, clear the decks. The legend that is Norma in Bristol is on the line. Norma, welcome. Hello. I um, I never seem to stick to the subject, although That's all right. I did think that Todd Burrow, the country and western man, was a bit um, disappointing, really. Well, maybe I was a bit cruel to him. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm hoping he doesn't think that. Um, because he was kind enough to come on. Uh, he just wasn't quite built. He wasn't quite as he was billed to me. No. I, I'm, anyway. I'm going to inquire afterwards whether there's any payola involved here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what I was just going to say was, um, we recently celebrated, well, some people celebrated, obviously, VE Day, 75 years. Yes, of course. And on August the 6th now... It's coming up. It's 75 years since the first nuclear bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. In August, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then in, in, in Nagasaki. Um, I mean, it caused thousands of civilian deaths. And the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament is organising lots of information about this around the country. Because so much money spent on these weapons of mass destruction, really. Um, I just think hopefully one day... Perhaps our country will wake up and say never again, you know? Well, um, I'll tell you what, we will cover that here on the Mother of All Talk Shows, oh, the, uh, the 75th uh, anniversary. Absolutely, yeah. uh, certainly. Uh, Norma, uh, the hour is against us. I hope you're well and your husband yeah. too. Thank you, yes. God bless you. We can't have a show without you, Norma. Please never forget that. And follow Norma on Twitter. She's fagashflow. Uh, she does smoke a wee bit, and sometimes she coughs uh, <laughs> on the line. But we I wish do, her yeah. we wish her long life and prosperity and health. Norma, thank you uh, very much indeed. Uh, it's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. Uh, let me give you the uh, musical genre uh, poll. Classical went up to again up to eighteen percent. See, we've got a reasonably highbrow audience on the mother of all talk shows. Rock and roll, 67%, down 2%. I wonder if people just voted for rock and roll because they, they felt expected to. Uh, jazz is disappointing at 15%. The poll is now closed, I think. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for participating in it. Don't forget, you can hear me tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on Scotland, uh, on my Facebook page, on my YouTube channel and on Twitter on the account of Alliance for Unity, Alliance for Unity. Uh, and you can hear me on Tuesday night with the Cuban ambassador uh, talking uh, about Cuba. Uh, it's been a good show. I hope you agree uh, tonight. And we've covered uh, everything from rock and roll and my double bass playing uh, to, uh, and we've been everywhere from Trieste to Denver, Colorado to Oakland, California, uh, and uh, many other parts of the world. We were in Melbourne. We were in uh, both the Carolinas, North and South. We were in Texas, uh, and so on. So 
it's all evidence that this is indeed a global university, a global university of the airwaves, and it cost you absolutely nothing. You didn't even have to listen to a commercial, to an advertisement. It cost you nothing. You gained something from it, as I did myself. Uh, so if you liked it, tell somebody else and bring another viewer and listener with you. I've been George Galloway. You've been a wonderful audience. And this has been the mother of all talk shows.